if you've got your Bible, go with me to Luke chapter 2. Um, as you're turning to Luke chapter 2, uh, I'm going to pick up where I left off last week. Um, but as you're turning there, I am going to, I want to let you know about a few things. Number one, thank you for everyone who participated and gave in our legacy offering last uh, week. Come on. It, it, it was incredible. Come on, y'all give it up. Y'all give it up. Um, at, at this moment, um, uh the, the uh, Dream Teamers who decided to match the, the offering up to $250,000 has extended it or continued it throughout December. There are many who have told me, Pastor Drew, um, I missed last week or uh, something's coming or I just wasn't quite ready yet. And so I just wanted to put you at ease. You can continue to give throughout December. It will be matched. So if you missed it or you wanted to, um, that's why we still have in your seat back pockets a legacy offer because you can still give to it and it will still be matched. I'll say this, that you guys are so generous that um, uh, on day one of Legacy last year, uh, you guys pretty much doubled it on day one of Legacy this year. So come on, our church is healthier and healthier. You guys are amazing. We're, we're, we're doing this together and we, we're, we're really excited about what God is doing. And I'll share plenty more about the stats, especially as we get close to January 30th where we're, we'll celebrate our third year anniversary as a church. We're going we're gonna to share with you everything that's been going on in 2021, share with you income, experience. If you're like that type of person, it's like, yes, come on, that's your day. If you're not that way, you, hey, it, it'll be about 10 minutes of just unveiling everything that God's doing because we want you to feel completely at ease on what's happening here at Lift Church and how God is stewarding uh, or, or how we're stewarding the money God has given all of us to be investing into the kingdom of God. Amen. But I will say this, that we've already given, this is the fun part of Legacy, we have already given away $10,730 to local, national, global uh, ministries, and um, more is to come through college, and, 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 and it also includes Kentucky. Um, we, we wanted to invest in, tr in light of the tornadoes that happened, and so we sowed money there too. So y'all give it up for yourselves that you're making a difference way beyond Salisbury, Maryland. But it, actually in Salisbury too, just behind the door. So come on. Um, so I'm excited about that. I also want to say this, that um, we will not meet next Sunday. We'll be an online only. Uh, many of y'all might have a, a Christmas, I need a break, I need to sleep in, I need to recover. And so we have put together an online experience for you, as well as we want our dream team not to feel like they have to uh, be pressured to turn a, a, a movie theater into a church. So next week's online only, but I'm so excited that on Friday is Christmas Eve, y'all. And I want to encourage you, there is no greater family tradition than to get your family together the day before Christmas and say, y'all want gifts? Let's remember the greatest gift ever given. Come on, let's come and worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Come on, we have Christmas Eve experiences at 5 and 7 p.m. I believe is no uh, better thing you could do with the family than to make sure that you're in God's house on that day. If you can't be with us, be in one of God's houses and worship 
the King of Kings and remind your family what it's all about or invite your extended family and friends that we got to do this. And then you might ask what happens after that since we're not going to meet again. Um, we're starting a new series in January called Get Your Life Back. I'm pumped about this series. Come on, put that graphic up here. Get Your Life Back. Some have had their life hijacked. We're going to help you get it back and on course. And if you're ready for that, you're going to want to uh, make that series. In fact, you'll get some invites on your way out if you would. Just pass these out to some people who you know might need uh, this would resonate with because Jesus is the answer. And then finally, every year we start our 21-day fast. So we'll begin fasting for 21 days. And I'm really excited to say on the last day we booked this auditorium. So on Saturday, as we are closing the fast, we are going to have a worship night here where we are just going to go after the presence of God and thank him for everything he's already done. How many know we can thank him in advance right now? Come on, if you believe that 2022 could be the best year yet, we need to celebrate him. I got you excited too early because I wanted to celebrate him after. But anyway, all right, so we got a lot of exciting things happening, and I am pumped, all right? Um, if you will, go with me now to Luke chapter 2, and uh, last um, Sunday, I started with uh, ass assembling the second uh, company to the nativity set. Come on. I, in fact, I thought about this, and I didn't do it. Um, I should have brought a nativity set here, and we should have just assembled the wise men because we did that on week one, and then we got the shepherds here, and today, we're going to get probably the most important part there. That's Mary and Joseph so that Jesus can be there, okay? And so we're, we're continuing on Luke chapter 2, uh, verses 1 through 7. Um, I know this is a little out of uh, order, but I missed something in my notes, and if you would, can I stop and just let you see what some of your... Um, uh, your giving and legacy accomplished. Here's one of the videos from uh, Children's Cup, which is one of our global partners that we sponsored a children's outreach. Go ahead and play that video. Sorry, I'm out. I'd like to give you a few highlights from some of the Christmas outreach stories we're hearing back from Latin America and from Africa. You guys have helped provide Christmas, a Merry Christmas to a lot of kids, a lot of kids in their homes. In fact, one home we went into in Latin America, the father had been in and out of jail due to some addictions and he actually, after the encounter with the team and that Christmas blessing they received, he went to church the next Sunday and experienced the hope of Jesus being taught to him in that church. This is why we partner with churches. We want people that we get to work with to have a church to be able to bless them and teach them about Jesus. This is what it's all about. You guys help make that possible. In South Africa, there was one home that our team went to and just really broken poverty, extreme poverty. And there's needs, there's, they're living on less than $40 a month. And you think, well, you know, this is Africa, they can make that. It's, it's tough. It is, it's, it's $40 a month. I don't care who you are, where you're at. That's a, very little to live on. And so as they're ministering to this family, they asked him, hey, is there any other needs? Ask this father, is there any other needs you have that we can help with? And they just said, we need shoes. So our team went back and adapted. It wasn't part of the Christmas program. There wasn't a big fundraiser saying, hey, we need shoes. But they just went back and they found the resources themselves and got a bunch of shoes and sent them uh, back out to that home. The difference that your support for Christmas is making is huge. You, there's no way we can describe all of the, the impact it's having, but we want you to know you're giving hope, you're inspiring dreams, you're changing worlds. When you help with a Christmas outreach like this, it really is making a Merry Christmas. So we just want to say thank you from all of us at Children's Cup, from all the kids that you've blessed. Thank you for making this a Merry Christmas. Come on, is that not cool? Is that not awesome testimony? 
this is who we partner with now in San Jose, Belize. And so um, some of them stories are coming right out of that Latin America as well as they, they have a presence in Latin America and Africa. And I'm really excited about uh, develop that, developing that even further. So that's incredible. Thank you for your legacy giving. That's, where, that's uh, one of the ways we're making an impact. So, all right, back to Luke chapter 2. And I'm ready to um, share with you what I've been seeing and chewing on and getting excited about. If you're ready, say, I'm ready. ready. Come on, let's do it. Luke chapter 2. This is the beginning uh, of verse 1. And it says, and it came to pass. All right, I, I, I'm going to give you a little, be a teacher for just a, a moment. And it came to pass. In other words, let me just say this. Luke, um, he wrote two books of the Bible. He wrote Luke and he wrote Acts. And what we know about Luke was he was a doctor. And so this is Dr. Luke writing about something that he says, it came to pass. In other words... This happened, y'all. <laughs> like, I'm a doctor. I don't say things, write things, prescribe things till I have thoroughly investigated things. In fact, he says in the beginning of Acts, O great Theophilus, I've looked into the account of Jesus thoroughly so that you can have peace of mind that what I say has been researched and attested to. And here he is writing in the book of Luke, and he's saying, and it came to pass. In fact, Luke is one of the very few authors who wrote it came to pass with his lingo, and yet he wrote it 54 times in his two different books. It came to pass. I researched it. It happened, y'all. <laughs> That's the Cajun version, all right, y'all? This is not once upon a time. This is actual real events. It happened y'all and in, in those days that a, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus someone say Caesar Augustus he'll be important with the rest of this message that all the world should be registered what audacity does Caesar Augustus have to to have a census for all the world well, that's because all the known world was occupied by Rome at this time. Rome pretty much occupied all of the world. So when he says, I have authority to put a census or my thumbprint on the whole world, he is speaking about all the known world. And it says in verse 2, then this census first took place when Quirinius was governing Syria. What's cool about this when I research is that Egyptian records have unearthed that this census did happen, okay? So there's extra biblical documentation that this thing happened and it went down. And it says this, that um, um, it, it caused uh, Mary and Joseph to return to their hometown. See, look, verse 3. All returned to their own ancestral towns to register for this census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. So he traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. So let me help you out. You're like, isn't it Jesus of Nazareth, right? Hasn't people said that throughout the New Testament? Yes, he was conceived in Nazareth. He was birthed in Bethlehem. Our first daughter was conceived in Louisiana, but she was birthed in Mississippi. She's got a Mississippi um, uh, uh, birth certificate because of some events, a hurricane. Well, Jesus' birth certificate is Bethlehem because of, well, a hurricane. I wanted to say that, but it would have been a political hurricane, a census. 
And so you see they had to travel south to Bethlehem. And it says in verse 5, he took with him Mary to whom he was engaged and when he was now expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for her, that's Mary, uh, uh, for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger. Why? Because the angels are going to tell the shepherds to look for those details. So she's following details that will later be revealed to somebody else. See, sometimes just run the play. What God says, just run the play. Because he's got a setup going on. And then it says that um, she laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them in the end. Um, this week's message, week three of Did You See It, is just simply entitled, Did You See the Census? Did you see the census? In fact, would you repeat that, only give it like some attitude like, did you see the census? Come on, give it some attitude this morning. Did you see the census? It'll make sense in a minute, okay? God, I thank you so much for your word. It brings life. And there's great life in there. There's great detail in there. Father, we want it to not just be information, but transformation. And so, Father, over all of our hearts, let us see what this means to us. That we would glory in you and we would be transformed by you. In Jesus' name I pray. And everyone listening who agrees with that can say, amen. Did you see the census? So who calls the census? Caesar Augustus. Let me give you a little Roman political background, and it's all a setup, okay? I promise I'm building something. It's going to go there, say, I'm going to stay with you, Pastor. All right. So Caesar Augustus ruled from 27 B.C., that's before Jesus was born, before Christ, to 14 A.D., okay, after the time uh, uh, transformed, which was all central to Jesus. Now, he ruled during the time that Jesus was born, and he was the nephew of of Julius Caesar. Many people have had to study Julius Caesar. You're like, okay, I sort of kind of know who he is, but I don't really know very much. Well, Julius Caesar was assassinated, and his kingdom was divided into three main sections. They call it a triumvirate. In other words, um, uh, Julius Caesar adopted his son nephew as an inherited son of his own. This is who will become Caesar Augustus. And um, when the kingdom was split up to three younger rulers, uh, Mark Antony was over one kingdom. Um, a, a man named Lepidus was over another. And then um, uh, who would become uh, Caesar Augustus. Now, why does this matter? Because all of Rome was ran by a senate. It was, it was a group of people uh, 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 that, that had a democracy, and eventually Lepidus fell away, and Mark Antony uh, had a fight with Caesar Augustus, and Caesar Augustus won, which meant that all of the kingdom for the very first time had one single emperor. It was this man who would become Caesar Augustus. Understand this. For the first time in history... There is one sole ruler of the Roman world. Uh, one person said it this way. Now, Rome was no longer a republic governed by laws. It was now an empire governed by an emperor. One man yielded uncontested authority and power now. In fact, his original name was Caius Octavius. But when he became emperor, the Senate wanted to 
uh, bestow upon him a name that was more fitting to the power he now holds. And so they suggested king. But Octavius didn't think king sounded strong enough. So they suggested, um, they suggested dictator. <laughs> and dictator was not a strong enough word to describe him, so he denied that one as well. And then the Roman Senate said, how about Augustus? And Augustus was a term that meant um, of the gods. It means exalted. It means sacred. It means approved by God. In other words, we want to put a name on you that sounds godlike. And you now have power that is godlike. You have uncontested. No one can cross you. Your name means God. Your power seems like God. He is the ruler of it all. Now you tell me, if you have a complaint against this man, where do you go? If you feel an injustice against this system, where do you go? This is the environment and the context that Caesar Augustus comes into. There is no hope. What does this godlike emperor decide to do? He decides, I want to tax the whole world efficiently and effectively so I got more income, so I got more flow, so I think I'll have a census. Aha. This is where it gets exciting for a Christian, okay? Because this is where we start to discover that the man on the throne is not the real man on the throne. That the man on the throne is sometimes just a puppet for the real man on the throne, even when it looks like he has godlike, uncontested power. Why is this so important? Because there was a prophecy in our Old Testament. You'd have to back up 500 years to the book of Micah, chapter 5, verse 2, where the book of Micah says this. It was a prophecy that said, you, O Bethlehem, are only a small village among all the people of Judah, yet a ruler of Israel, whose origins are from the distant past. He is going to come from you on my behalf. Oh, who do you think this is prophesying about? This is prophesying about the Messiah, Jesus Christ. There's one problem. Jesus is in Mary's womb, and they are hanging out in their city of Nazareth. So when God says, I need to get Nazareth, I need to get these parenting couple from Nazareth down to Bethlehem, how will I do it? He could have said, oh, Caesar Augustus is on the throne. He's way too powerful. I don't even want to ruffle it up with him. But what I find interesting is that um, God didn't go around Augustus. He could have pulled some back alley deals, you know what I mean? Come on, like gotten Joseph's friends to get him down to Bethlehem or something like that. He didn't circumvent power. What does that tell me? He ain't scared of power. Guys, can I help you out? We should vote. But even if the vote doesn't go your way, do you understand that the real king of kings is still the king of kings? And we should pray for our authority. And we should trust that God is in control whether it went the way I hoped for or not. Because the real man on the throne is not the man on the throne. It's the man on the throne. And he ain't scared of power. He's not up there going, oh, crap. They voted so-and-so in. Or they gave him the name Augustus. What am I going to do now? It's like side-by-side -side power is going to be in contention. No, he ain't scared. He said, I could back alley this thing. 
I'm going to go through him. And, and then number two, he, he didn't go around Augustus, but he didn't go through Augustus. I shouldn't have used that word. In other words, he didn't force Augustus to do something Augustus didn't want to do. God is a gentleman. He will not force himself upon you. However, what he did do is he accomplished his will because of Augustus. He didn't go around Augustus. He didn't force his way and ramrod Augustus through Augustus. But he did move because of Augustus. For our God is the God who makes all things work together for the good of those who love him. That was a good message last week. Check it out. So Caesar's, I am godlike. I am an emperor. I feel like more income should come in. I feel like calling a census. God's up there going, you keep doing what you think you're doing, bro. But what you have no idea is I am moving the, pace, the pieces into place. A 500-year-old prophecy that you don't even know about, little man. <laughs> you have just dictated a census that has moved the last chess piece in place you, my friend, are under checkmate. Come on. Have you ever played chess before? I ain't no good at it. I know the basics of it. But have you ever won a game before and you found out I stumbled my way into a win, right? Where you're just like, oh, man. They're like, man, you got me a checkmate. And you're like, I do? I thought it was just check. <laughs> Since when? Like, like, show me my brilliance. I want to make sure you got it, right? And they're like, oh, look, you got me from here and here. And it's like, I did. <laughs> checkmate game over right God's not stumbling into checkmate here come on he has assembled Mary and Joseph he has assembled the shepherds he has assembled the magi and he is going to fulfill a 500 year old prophecy in other words the real question is not if God can do it it's when God does it what will it mean for you this is the big question for you and I to wrestle with today that Caesar Augustus would have had to wrestle with. The question is not if God can do it. The question is when God does it, what will it mean for you? I really see it as you've got two options. You can be an adversary or you can be an advocate. One goes down in history as the villain. One goes down in history as a, 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 a co-heir with Christ. Servant, co-servant with the Lord, co-laborer, right? Here we go. So see the census. See, the census is problematic for a skeptic. If you're in this place and you're like, I'm not sure I buy into all this, I need to point out something that's problematic for you that you didn't expect to be problematic. That is the census. It's problematic for you because, number one, it did happen, and it's verified in the Bible and outside the Bible, therefore giving more authority to the Bible's claims. Number two, no matter how much I resist him, it means, this is what that uh, census means, no matter how much I resist him, his will still seems to happen. Like, I can try to stop Jesus from taking the throne, but no matter how much I resist him, I end up seeing that what he wills is still going to happen. This is problematic if you're a skeptic, okay? Because I, I want to use the term, bro, did you even see the senses? Like, as, as a new idiom, right? An idiom is a, a term kind of like, um, um, call it the day, bite the bullet, right? These are terms that we use to describe uh, something, um, a bigger meaning, right? And so, in other words, it, it would be like, bro, 
You're going to try to resist God? Did you even see the census? Like, why would you even cross them? Why would you even go in opposition to them? Did you see the census? Caesar Augustus did not want another emperor taking his place. He did not want another king. And he is the one who decreed the very thing that would solidify the prophecy of 500 years old. Did you even see the census? Like, it's so easy to miss. Have you ever paid attention to the Christmas story and saw how vital the census was before? Micah is not fulfilled unless this full-of-himself authority goes... I want to tax people. Let's have a census and force them to go back to their hometown. So Joseph, in the line of David, has to go back to Bethlehem, where the city of David was founded. And so it's just so awesome. Did you even see the census? And this is going to apply to you and I because it's going to happen with or without you. The only difference is whether you'll be an adversary or an advocate. If God's will is going to be accomplished, if hundreds and hundreds of prophecies have been finished and there are a few that have not, it's going to happen. The question is, will you be an adversary or will you be an advocate? This is the question we have to wrestle with. We should go ahead and try to get some wisdom from Pharaoh. Hey, Pharaoh, do you believe that what God wills is going to happen? I wonder if we could sit down with him today and interview him. Pharaoh, how much did you do to stop his will from happening? <laughs> and did it go well for you? Because it didn't make you a hero. It made you go down in history as a villain, right? Let's, let's call back Judas, one of the 12 apostles, one of the betrayers, right? Let's interview him. Is it better to be an adversary or an advocate? <laughs> Which one do you prefer to be? But then I think that we should also go back and, and ask Rahab, who was once a harlot, and she became a hero because she became uh, an advocate of God's plans instead of an adversary or in opposition to her plans. He turned her shame into glory. Or I wonder if we should interview Gideon, who was a coward but would go down in history as a champion. He would go down in his history as a conqueror because he no longer uh, was an adversary of God's plan. He became an advocate. If you said it, I believe it. I will go along with it. I will trust your word. I will move according to your word. I will respond as you are. Come on. I believe that Satan, every time this stuff happens, I believe it disheartens every hater and it should anger every enemy. I think Satan's up there going, bro, I'm telling you, I had Jesus beaten one time. I had him whipped. I had him, I had him mutilated. And, and, and he used it to fulfill a prophecy that uh, uh, the one who was whipped and beaten for your transgressions. He fulfilled a stink of prophecy with that. And so I had him crucified. I had him right where I wanted. He was resurrected. Here we go again. Cause a census to overtax every one of God's people and to cause oppression and to cause dictatorship, he turns it into a prophecy fulfilled. Like, I wonder if, enemy, if Satan's ever like, bro, I just get so tired of being two steps behind God no matter what I come up with. Let's have the brother beaten. Let's have the brother crucified. Let's have the taxes increase. And every time he's two steps ahead of me. In other words, the question is not, if it's going to happen, it's when God's will happens, will you go down as an adversary or an advocate? 
Are you against him or are you for him? And it makes the difference between who God approves of and who goes down in history as a betrayer or a villain. Come on. I, I, I'm telling you, uh, my name's Drew Frider and I'm your friend. Listen to me, okay? If he can do it with or without you, it's advantageous to play the advocate instead of the adversary. I'm just trying to be your friend today. I want to be on his team, moving his, his, his mission along, and not to be the opposition in the way. And that's the decision we got to make today. I don't care if you're a believer or an unbeliever. We believers oftentimes get in the way of God's plans too. Every one of us need to self-assess, am I in the way or am I advancing the way? I need to recognize this. Did you even see the census? A seemingly insignificant, easy-to-pass-over detail that moved major chess pieces into place. And God said, checkmate, Savior of the world, has arrived, along with humble shepherds and lofty magi. So this is where I get excited about Mary and Joseph, because it's the final part of the nativity, and you might say, what makes them so special? Why do I get so excited about Mary and Joseph? And, and this is why. Please uh, 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 stay with me because I'm going to say something a little bit crass. What was so special about Mary and Joseph? Nothing. Nothing. I wrestled with this all week. You answered a question. What did Mary or Joseph do so special that we are aware of in the Bible that God should pick her to conceive. There are no details in the Bible that suggest anything other than she was a believer in God and she was walking out her path. It doesn't suggest she was praying extra prayers. It doesn't suggest that she was better than everybody else. She was keeping to her calling. She was in her lane. She was worshiping God. Then she conceives of the immaculate conception what role did Mary play to get the Messiah to fulfill the prophecy by being born in Bethlehem? You tell me. Seemed like she was going to hang out in Nazareth. Seemed like we're at nine months. If I'm pregnant, I'm not waiting until nine months, right? Okay, I, I understand. There's a lot of things wrong with me saying that, okay? But if my wife's pregnant, I, I tell my daughter was born in Mississippi. You want to know why? Hurricane Gustav hit Louisiana. We were in Louisiana. I remember our church saying, when are you coming back home? And I said, do the hospitals have power restored to them? And they said, no, they do not. And I said, you remember the Bible says that in the last days, it pretty much will be hell on earth if you're pregnant at the second coming of Jesus Christ. Because you'll want to run for the hills. You remember that? And I said, it will be hell on earth for me if I bring my nine-month-old pregnant wife ready to deliver at any time back to a hospital that's on um, uh, uh, generators. So no, bro, we hanging tight until you got some power. Because the last thing she wanted to do was hop on a donkey and ride approximately 90 miles south from Nazareth to Bethlehem. I've done the map. Put up that map I put up there. It, this is present day. Since we're going to use present day technology, if you want to walk it, there you go. You see the little walking icon? One day, nine hours walk. In other words, 24 plus nine hours. Somebody do the math. That's 32, 33 hours 
walking hours to make this happen. You think Mary said, I want to do that. That sounds like a great idea. In other words, what role did Mary play? Nothing. God did it. Caesar did it. And, and, and finally, what role did she play attracting the wise men and the shepherds to the nativity scene to affirm the messianic uh, uh, arrival? What role did she play in that? Nothing. God assembled all the pieces because she simply had obedience and trust, and that was more than enough. I want you to write that down, that obedience and trust is more than enough. Why? Because I spent the last uh, two weeks, we talked about discernment a lot in this series. And I think discernment's important, and I think you can. But some people can overdo this thing where it's just like, I'm trying to hear from heaven. There's no person until God answers the will. I don't get the impression that's what Mary was doing. She's walking along one day when an angel arrives and says, you are highly favored among women. What was she doing? Obedience and trust. It was more than enough. She forgot the Micah prophecy that, oh, yeah, this baby, if it is who he says he is, should be born in Bethlehem to, to finalize this detail. She didn't remember that. Guess what? Obedience and trust. I got to respond to the government of the land who's moving the chess pieces in the right spot. Obedience and trust. Listen, if the government of the land is not in opposition with God, why are we always got to be in opposition with them? I'm hitting both sides right now. Because sometimes we make our political party more of our God than our real God is. Well, I'm not going to submit to that. If it doesn't oppose what God said, then I am opposing what God said when he said, pray for your authority and submit to their rulership. I know, stepping on toes. We all kind of do it because we subconsciously make our party our God instead of, God, you said it. And obedience and trust is more than enough. They might have birthed them in Nazareth and people go, he can't be the one. He wasn't even born in Bethlehem. Micah said it would be. See, I'm telling you, he's not the one. And then finally, they just show up, and then all of a sudden, shepherds come and stuff. In other words, in the grand scheme of things, she was doing nothing beyond obedience and trust, and it was more than enough. 1 Corinthians 12, 18 says, God has put each one just where he wants it. He's talking about the body of Christ, and he says, we're all body parts. And he says, he has put each one right where he wants it. In other words, will you let God move you into the positions and places he wants you to be? Or will you be his adversary going, I don't want to go over there. <laughs> I don't like that very much. I'm tired of being a pawn. I want to be a knight. <laughs> tired of being a knight. I want to be a rook. I'm tired of that. I want to be the king. Can we just let the king of kings put us into place without us moving out of place? Obedience and trust is more than enough. I was talking with Cam. Cam's, Cam's back. Um, he's been in South Korea for a while on his first major assignment. And I was talking about his position in the army. I was like, bro, like he, he, he's been given a favorable position. I said, what did you do? And I, I hope it's okay to tell the story. And I said, what did you do? Like qualifications, stuff like that. How'd you separate yourself? And he said, honestly, the favor of God was what it was. You could call it crazy timing. 
I call it the favor of God. And all the individual pieces moved them to a place where it's like, we can't use you for where you wanted to. We're going to move you up. How about over here? And now it's like, cool. Heck yeah. In other words, obedience and trust. I trust you, God. I don't know what you're doing. All doors seem to be closing. But you're the God who when one door closes, you don't open up another one. And so obedience and trust is more than enough. The Bible says that Mary said in Luke 2.19 that Mary treasured up all these things in her heart as the wise men and the uh, shepherds showed up. And as they said what they said. And she pondered them in her heart. Heck yeah. I wonder if she's not got her mind blown saying, I guess so. I wonder if she started repeating scriptures going, if God can do this out of just obedience and trust, then my God will meet all of our needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Come on. She might have been saying, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want anymore. I'm telling my soul, he's got this thing. Follow along with me on the scriptures because you might want to write down some of these. She might have said, I reckon that the present sufferings are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in the time to each one of us. She might have been thinking, while others strive after all these things, your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Can I get somebody to help me this morning? She might have been thinking, and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, we will abound in every good work. Because obedience and trust is more than enough. Let's just say, God, I don't know what you're doing. Surely you're my shepherd. I shall not want. He leads me into Bethlehem because of an overzealous, full of himself, Caesar Augustus, wanted me to pay more taxes than I can't afford. And Jesus shows up. God, you're good. What am I complaining about my present sufferings when I know you shall reveal your glory? So today, I want to take the weight off of those who are faithful to the day in and day out faith walk. That God will set you up not more, do more, do more, more, no, no, faith and trust is more than enough. Let me speak this over you. If you worry about missing it, obedience and trust is more than enough. If you want to have great faith, obedience and trust is more than enough. If you want to do it right, obedience and trust is more than enough. 1 Thessalonians 2.12 says this, and I close. We plead with you, encourage you, and we urge you to simply live your lives in a way that God would consider worthy. Wow. Obedience and trust is more than enough. For God called you, say you, to share in his kingdom and glory. He wants us to be his advocate. Today, we surrender being his adversary. We become his advocate that's you come on would you just open up your palms to heaven as i pray over you today father many of us have good intentions strive and you said it's not by might it's not by power but it's by your spirit says the lord and so i pray that the spirit of god 
who affirms all things that are of you, God. I pray that you would affirm your people today, that obedience is trust is more than enough, that you know where they are at, and all they got to do is hold the course. Come on. You are not slow. You are not behind God. We attest today that you're up to something good, that even in the midst of bad news, you'll work it together for our good. We say today that we trust you. In fact, we praise you in advance of the victory because we know you're up to something. And so, God, we say that we are going to hold firm to you, God. We are going to hold firm to the anchor of our faith. That is the hope in Jesus Christ who has done it all, who can accomplish it all, who is doing something right now. And whether we see it or not, Father, we say we will hold on with obedience and trust. And you're going to come through at the right time with all the glory in Jesus' name. Receive it and be at peace. If you're in this place with your head bowed and your eye closed and you say, Pastor Drew, I've been more of an adversary than anything. I might have been the one opposing his plans. I've seen how I might have been the devil's advocate many times. I've caused destruction. I've hurt other people. I've cheated. I've lied. I've made a mess of my own life. If you're in this place, I, I, I come to tell you, Jesus Christ has come to give you peace. He wants to set you free of your sin and shame doesn't mean you get to continue to live that way it's just for those who say I want to lay down that life and become someone brand new today and I want Jesus to call the shots today if you're in this place all eyes are closed all heads are bowed if you're online and you say that's me then would you just real quick hold your hand up to the sky and say say to God God that's me today I give you my life I'm surrendering it today if you're online and that's you come on just say just write in the chat that's me include me in this prayer and we're all going to pray aloud with you. Come on, church. We don't know who's making what decisions today. We just know that God is good and he's doing the work. So let's all say this. Jesus, I'm a sinner. I know I need a Savior. I can't fix it on my own. I've messed it up on my own. But I hear that you, Jesus, came, di came down from heaven to give me a new start. I need that new start. I believe in you, Jesus. Thank you for dying on the cross so that I could be free. I give you my life, and I ask you to take control. In Jesus' name I pray. And the church said, amen and amen. Come on.